Go ahead. First uh, question. Well, one, I was just going to ask, what, during this uh, time, what was the age of Dinger whenever they go to, uh, to buy grain in Egypt? Well, he's younger than Joseph, but we don't know his age exactly. Okay. So if he's younger than Joseph, let's say Joseph was sold at age 17, he has to be younger than that. How many years... But not too many years younger than Joseph because he was born on the way when Jacob returned to the land of Canaan. Right. Okay, so he would still be, he would be a young adult. Yes. Then during this time. So he's not a, a child or no. a teenager. No. He would be a, uh, at least a young adult. I think he was at, by the time Joseph is the ruler, I think he's at least 30 years old. 30, and then the other brothers would be, uh, the oldest one would be roughly what? Um, they were all born within that six year period. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, uh, not six year period, 20 year period. Mm -hmm. So the oldest maximum would have been 59. Then the other I was going to ask was... But what's the implication? Oh, just out of... Well, you know, when he mentioned that uh, he's the, he is the son of his old age and he's youthful, mm -hmm. him being younger uh, and him not wanting to send him. Yeah. But he's not, he's not like a little child. No. He's just, but he's still considered young. Yeah. Um, in, in that regard. Yeah. So uh, then um, you mentioned it briefly, but... You know, sometimes people will charge Jacob with favoritism, mm -hmm. favoring Joseph over the others, and then favoring Benjamin over the others. He won't send Benjamin. Uh, but could you just talk more about why that's not a just charge? Why is it not a just charge that Jacob favored Joseph and Benjamin? Well, for, for one, it is the, the wife he loved and that he worked to marry. He was tricked into marrying Leah. He, he really loved Rachel, but he was tricked into marrying Leah. So he didn't have any... Uh, he didn't have any malicious intent. It was Laban who had malicious intent. So loving her, because that was what first happened, that was natural, why is that wrong? Because... Even when a, a man marries a woman, he's not marrying all the rest of the women in the world. He is favoring that wife that he married, not the other women, no matter who they are, he's supposed to. So we wouldn't call that favoritism, correct? So if he's endearing the children, the two sons born from Rachel, why is that a problem? As long as he's not neglecting the others, and he wasn't. He wasn't neglecting to provide. He wasn't neglecting to teach the others. But he had a greater affection for the wife he loved and the sons that were born from that wife. So why would we consider that to be partiality in a sinful way? But that is a common chart, right? It's a common chart, yes. Um, okay. 
if that's wrong, then is it wrong for God to choose his son? Is it wrong for God to choose Mary? Of all the women in the world, tens of billions in the world, in, in world history, tens of billions of women, why did God choose Mary for the virgin birth? Why did God choose her? Why didn't he choose my mother, your mother, any other mother? He chose Mary. Was, so, was that partiality? Was that favoritism? No. I think what's happening when people charge Jacob with things like this, they already have a bent to criticize the saints of Scripture. Yep. Because if they... That, that culture of criticizing them without looking at them objectively, this bent to criticize them, then you're going to look for sin under every rock and pebble. Right. But if you don't have that bent and you look at these patriarchs and saints of Scripture the way the Bible looks at them the, and the way the Bible describes them, then you would not conclude at every turn that Jacob is sinning here, he's doing evil there, you wouldn't think that way. And why do people do that? Because if they can lower the standard of godliness, then they can continue living in their own sin. They don't need to repent if they can lower the standard of what godliness is. It's better to look at the saints of Scripture the way the Scriptures describe them. For example, reading about Lot in the book of Genesis chapter 19 from that chapter alone in Genesis chapter 19, when people read that without the proper mind, without the mind of the Spirit, they will say that Lot was a worthless man and barely escaped by the skin of his teeth. He was a worthless man and barely escaped. He did this wrong. He did that wrong. He was worthless. But in 2 Peter 2, Peter the Apostle three times in verses 6 to 8, calls him righteous. Righteous lot, righteous deeds, righteous soul. He calls him righteous. So Lot was righteous, not wicked. We could say the same about Gideon and Jephthah. Yeah. Gideon and Jephthah are often punching bags in the book of Judges. And Samson too. They're often <laughs> punching bags in the book of Judges. Did, did they sin? Were they sinners dead in trespasses and sins like all the rest of us? Yes, we all are. That's not the question, though. And then were they converted at some point in life? Yes, of course. Did they believe in the gospel? Yes, of course. They were converted, believed in Christ, forgiven of their sins. But even converted sinners are not perfect. No one is sinless 100%. Ecclesiastes 7, 20, 1 Kings 8, 46, 1 John 1, 8 and 10, 8, 9 and 10. They all say there's no one who does good continually who never sins. They all say that. And if somebody says that, he's a liar and he's a deceiver, 1 John tells us. So we're not talking about whether somebody is spotless completely 100%. No. And so in Jacob's case, did he sin? In certain areas that are evidence in the text? Yes. Remember we said in Genesis 37, 5 to 11, when he first heard Joseph's dreams, he rebuked Joseph. 
His initial reaction to hearing the dreams was to rebuke him, but the text says in verse 11, but he kept these things in mind. So initially he rebuked, but then he backed off and said, well, wait a minute. I've got to consider what Joseph said. He did so. Uh, Initially he sinned, then he backed off. So these examples are there in Scripture, but what we're talking about is, are these sins characteristic of them? Are they practicing them? Are they justifying their sins, saying it's not a sin? Are they loving it? Are they indulging in it? Are they continuing in their sins without repentance? If they're doing that in Scripture, then they are unbelievers. But we can't say that of Adam, Abel, Enoch, Noah. We can't say that of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We can't say that of all the rest of them. That they practiced their sin, that they justified their sin and said, no, 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 that's not a sin. I can do this. They didn't live their life that way. They sought to overcome sin. And at points their sins are exposed, but they don't revel in them. They don't bask in them. They don't remain in them. They repent. That's the way we should be. That's both Old Testament and New Testament. Peter denied Christ, right? Three times. times. Peter rebuked Christ and said, Lord, may this not happen to you, when he was predicting his upcoming death and resurrection. He said, may it not happen to you. Well, Jesus rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your interests on uh, God's interests, but man's. So he rebuked him. And even when he denied Christ, he sinned temporarily, but in these cases he repented. Repentance is the evidence of a humble, faithful heart. Repentance. Not justification. Pastor Ishwaran, you had mentioned in the answer to that question that, uh, for example, why wasn't why was Mary chosen to be the mother of Christ and not in the other one? I think part of also the reason that people bring those charges or bring up questions such as that is the whole, our societal concept of egalitarianism, that everyone has to be on the same equal footing with God, that God needs to treat the human race the way we want to be treated, not the way he in his sovereign wisdom wants to adjust human affairs. I mean, that can be very subtle, but I think Yes, yes. It is an egalitarian view of society that raises that objection. But actually, the egalitarian perspective is a smokescreen because the people are hypocrites. Do they, when, when we were supposed to treat everybody equally, uh, does, does a married man provide for his wife and children as equally as he provides for everybody else? Or does he provide for everybody else as equally as he provides for his own wife and children? Of course. No. And nobody expects that. It's self-evident. It's in natural law that you're not supposed to do that. To the extent you can help others, you help others. But you're supposed to first and foremost help your own family. So in that sense, it's not pure egalitarianism. Right? The same inside the church. Uh, Firstly, in the family... 1 Timothy 5.8 says, 1 Timothy 5.8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially 
for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's the principle right there explicitly stated, that which is obvious, self-evident in nature. You don't have to be a Christian to understand that. Atheists know that. Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims, they know that. Tribalists know that. They provide for their own first and foremost, primarily, more so than for anybody else. So that's 1 Timothy 5.8. Also, though, within church, are we supposed to help those in our local church exactly the same as we help a stranger? Of course not. Or help the stranger more or equal to how we help someone in the church? It's supposed to be in the church first. And then, to the extent we can, others. Galatians 6.10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Right. Especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So even our love, our grace, compassion, philanthropy, whatever we're doing like that, to help someone else's physical needs. There are levels, there are grades, there are abilities and spheres, spheres of influence, spheres of relationships. And we have to go from the inner circle to the outer circle. It's natural, everybody knows that, and the Bible teaches that. Same thing. So, egalitarianism is... It's basically another way of describing utopianism, but utopianism, egalitarianism, everyone on the equal level is more of a smokescreen. Some of their adherents, they actually believe it, that it's possible, but I I call those people stupid communists. (laughs) Uh, There are communists who are deliberate, and they know the few who plot and scheme destruction and misery for the masses, and then they teach people who buy it, you know, even the communists called them the useful idiots. Yeah. The useful idiots, my term, stupid communists. That there are people, even in high places, who actually believe what they're saying, that it's good to have high gas prices, 10 to $15 a gallon. It's good to do that on European levels. They say things like that. Um, yes, even in the United States. They, they say things like that, that they want it that way, because otherwise we're going to destroy the earth. They literally believe it. A lot of people in high places actually believe it. But if you go up high enough in the chain of the, the hierarchy of authority and, and scheming and planning, setting policy, they don't really believe that. They don't believe that. They know it leads to destruction. They've got brains, just like we do. They know it leads to destruction and misery. But they propagandize the people so they are, there are stupid communists and there are communists. Shrewd communists. Shrewd communists. Now, yes. I, would, I would agree with you, Pastor, that egalitarianism in its final form as a smokescreen is really about having the vast mass down at the same level and yeah. the few need dominate. Equal yes. misery. Equal misery. Equal misery, yes. It's deliberate death and mass misery, but it's equal misery to the masses. In, in their pursuit of egalitarianism, they show partiality. Absolutely. Right? Isn't that what they're doing? How do they show partiality? Well, like, we have to make it equal for minorities to get into college. So we're going to lower the test scores and make it to where they're actually showing favoritism and partiality to this group and that group. 
It's not an equal play. It's not an equal playing field, equal access. It's there's partiality in the way that they're trying to accomplish yeah. egalitarianism. Yes, so because even the majority, the majority, who don't get the favors in affirmative action, sounds so nice, affirmative action, but it's actually um, unaffirmative action because it's destroying the minorities and the majorities. Right. Because nobody gets what they get because they worked hard or by merit. They get it because the color of their skin, or they get it because they're female. I thought that was just social justice. Yeah, social justice is anti-social injustice. <laughs> yeah, it's right. actually opposite. Whatever they dub, because they're liars, they're controlled by Satan, who's a liar and a murderer, it's actually the opposite of what they say. Yes. This is off topic, so you don't want to answer this, you have to. So regarding that, how should we look at the Kyle Rittenhouse case? Because they, the social justice people say that, you know, they, they, they throw that at us and that, oh, he's obviously guilty. But is that, how, how should we look at that? Should we? Okay, how should we look at that? I, I'll use their own arguments against them. Don't they say, how can you make a judgment? You don't know him. Right. You never met him. You never had dinner with him. He's not your friend. You don't have a long-term relationship. How can you make a judgment like that? How can you say so quickly that he's, he's guilty? That's the way they say to us whenever we charge, based on evidence, we charge somebody with error or a crime or sin. They say, you can't do that. You can't do that automatically. Well, why can they do it automatically? If we can't do it quickly and automatically, why do they do it? Because they want us to keep quiet and they want the loudspeaker. That's really what's happening. But really what we should do is want justice. Right. True justice, be objective, not with your propaganda, not with your emotion, not with your violence. Right. Because those against Rittenhouse uh, it, during that incident, they are thugs. They are thugs and criminals and felons. They're criminals. So this innocent citizen is trying to go there to help with first aid, clean up debris, clean up uh, graffiti. He went there for that purpose, but he also took a weapon with him just in case he needed to defend himself. But he wasn't there looking for trouble. He went there looking to help. And he wants to be a nurse. So, he went there for that purpose, but all the others, the, they were criminals and thugs, felons there, creating mayhem. Destroying, and they're not getting the attention they should get. They should be prosecuted. They should be arrested. They should be tried. And those who murdered and attempted murder, they should be given the full extent of the law, whatever that charge is. Basically, they're, they're saying is, how dare you stop us or try to clean up what we've done? You're interfering, so you need to either be beaten to death or in jail. Yes, they're, they're saying that. Because they hate order, they hate, they hate law and order. They want chaos, destruction, misery. They actually believe in that. And they revel in that. They love to see blood and guts. These people are devilish people. They love to see blood, guts, destruction, violence, misery. They love to see it. Once they collapse the country through this, then it will be communist. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, one more. Uh, in regards to your answer to Pastor Jerry's question, I was thinking limited atonement 
and God's special love for the elect is an example of that well. Yes. Also, he loves us special in Christ as compared to the rest of the world. Exactly. Thank you. So, in that regard, we, we are talking about physical realities and physical needs and provisions. But on the spiritual side, people assume, without using these words sometimes, that God loves everyone equally. No. Spiritually. Spiritually, God loves everyone equally. When that is obviously not true. It cannot be true. We, we used the example of Mary earlier, right? She was the chosen vessel for the virgin birth, not any other woman. And God didn't use a man either or make a man a woman to do so. He didn't do it that way, right? He, he used a woman to do that, and she, he used her. 2,000 years ago, one out of tens of billions of women who have ever lived, he used one and her. That's one. But when you say limited atonement, it relates to God's love. Can we prove that God does not love every person equally? Yes. One evidence, the Word of God. How are we going to believe the gospel and be saved from our sins? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Of Christ. But everyone does not have access to the Word of Christ. Is that wrong? That God reserved it only for some? No. Psalm 147, 19. Psalm 147, 19 and 20. He declares his words to Jacob, his statutes and his ordinances to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. Amen. He doesn't say, they have not known them, curse the Lord. He does not say, they have not known them, oh, sorry. Um, God, God's plans aren't very good. He doesn't say anything like that. He praises God for delivering his words to the nation of Israel, but not to any other nation. He left all the nations of the world, for the most part, until the incarnation of Christ. Until that time, he left the majority, the vast majority of mankind, without access to the word of Christ, the word of the gospel, the word of salvation, the word of truth. They didn't have it, with a few exceptions. The, the Ninevites, the woman of Zarephath, the widow of Zarephath with Elijah, and then Elisha, uh, the Shunammite woman. Various examples of women or others who were given access to it and believed. But not everybody, and not most. So that's one example where he shows that love. Another, don't they say, a lot of people say, if only Jesus were here, I would believe. <laughs> if only he were here in person, I would believe. Have you heard a skeptic say that? Yeah. Yes. No, if he were here, if he were here and he were to do a miracle right in front of me, I would believe. No, he wouldn't. Well, first, they misunderstand. Yes, he would not. Because it's not just the presence of Christ or the miracles of Christ. It has to be the Spirit of Christ changing the dead heart right. to believe. Right. 
They misunderstand that point. And God doesn't give it to everyone. Nope. He doesn't grant faith to everyone. He doesn't change the heart of everyone. He doesn't do that. That is obvious. Who can deny that? That there are lots of people who remain in Islam and die. Who remain in atheism and die. Who remain in nominal Christianity and die. Correct? Okay, so who can deny that? That they don't have a changed heart. They don't have faith. Um, So, giving faith is not something he gives to everyone. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 5. 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it also did with you, and that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Their faith is not common to all. Not all have faith. Well, who grants faith? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work that no one should boast. Faith is a gift of God. Therefore, it's not given to everyone. The same gift is not gifted to every individual throughout history. So, the, the atonement and the salvation from the atonement of Christ is not distributed to every person who ever lives in the history of the world. It's not. Well, he said, said right off the bat that he, Esau, he hated. Yes, right off the bat. Genesis 25, 23, and repeated in Romans 9, 11, or 10 to 13. Romans 9, 10 to 13. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And when was that announced? Not after Jacob was 50 75 years old, after God saw a lot of evil that Esau did, but before he did any evil, when he was in the womb. It was an answer to Rebekah's inquiry to the Lord, why are my twins fighting each other? And the Lord said, the, the older will serve the younger. The older was Esau, the younger born was Jacob. And then in Malachi 1, 1 to 5, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's Malachi the prophet rephrasing what Moses said in Genesis 25, 23. And then Paul puts these together in Romans 9, 10 to 13. That's right. So he chooses one and rejects another. Okay, next question. In Genesis 42, 18... It says, well, Joseph told them that he fears God. Would that not have seemed odd to them that this you know, second command of Egypt is stating that he fears God? Was, did they take that, that? I mean, did he say Yahweh there? Or, you know, how did they receive that? And you, you touched on it, that 
in that he was stating that the same God they know and believe in. So how would they have interpreted or stuff? In this passage, in verse 18, Genesis 42, 18, I fear God. He did not say Yahweh. He did not say Yahweh, Jehovah. He said God, Elohim, which is generic. It wasn't specific to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they wouldn't have been tipped off immediately like that. And when he says it in this case that he fears God, he's, um, he's saying it with uh, the Hebrew word that is in the plural. And because the Hebrew word Elohim for God is the most common word for God in the Old Testament. There's a singular form, a couple of singular forms, but this one is the most common plural form. There are uh, theological or semantic reasons why, and also grammatical reasons why it's plural. Uh, but it is common and it's used of not only the true God, not idols, but it's also used for idols. The plural form is used for God, and context and grammar and syntax determine whether this plural form Elohim is referring to the true God or the false gods, the idols of paganism. In this case, he doesn't explain. He just says, I fear God. Or they could hear him I fear gods. I fear the gods. So the interpreter, though, would have, he would have said this in Egyptian. Yes. And then the interpreter would have interpreted to them. Yeah, well, hopefully the interpreter is literal and does not explain too much. But because <laughs> but, if he explains too much, then he would have said that Joseph uh, worships our idols. Um, or if he explained in the right way, well, Joseph doesn't worship our idols, so but when he says God, he means his God because he has a different God than our God, our gods. Hopefully the interpreter didn't get into all that. That's usually not the duty of the interpreter. Right. It, so it's, 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 it's not that Joseph would have used an Egyptian word for God. The interpreter yeah. would have said Elohim, and then they would have just heard what they Knowing the context, they're sitting there before this man. They would have just probably assumed he meant the Egyptian gods. Okay, so when when he says this, he's got to say it to the interpreter. So the interpreter is the one using the Egyptian word to the. Um, sorry, he's using the Egyptian word, which was equal to Elohim. The interpreter says that to the brothers. Yes. Along that line, um, you said that the, the word Elohim in Hebrew is plural, right? Or it can be plural. Yes. Pastor, do you think that reflects the Trinity? That, that the pluralness of that word? It may. Mm -hmm. It's uncertain. Yeah. It, it may, but that's why I didn't get into it. There's different reasons for why. It's complicated. Yes. Um, even though when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he just uses the word God in Genesis 45. Genesis 45, 1 to 15. 
But he begins speaking of God in verse 5. God sent me. Verse 7, God sent me. Verse 8, God. Verse 9, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. But in that occasion, they would have known who he was because he just revealed himself. And he would have meant God, meaning the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah. Um, and I'm just looking quickly to see if he at any point uses the word the Lord. And I don't see it. I see him most often using the word God. Genesis 50 verse 19. Do not be afraid for am I in God's place. Verse 20. God meant it for good. However, it wasn't as though Joseph did not know the name of the Lord or Yahweh at all. In Jacob's blessing on his 12 sons, in Genesis 49, 18, 49, 18, he says, For your salvation I wait, O Lord, meaning O Yahweh. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. 49.18 He's blessing his sons because they assemble together. 49.1 Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what shall befall you in the days to come. So in this situation, he, he meant the true God but he just left it to them since he was still in the mid testing them. He just left it to them to interpret that. And yes. then knowing that he's this Egyptian, they just likely assumed he meant the Egyptian gods. They likely assumed it, yes. That he meant the Egyptian gods. But did, did not Pharaoh say that he called he appointed him over this, he says, I know you from God. You you are doing what God wants you to do. He wasn't talking about his God, he was talking about Joseph's God. Who who said that? Pharaoh. Yeah, we're not talking about Pharaoh yet. We're, uh, at this point, um, we're talking about Joseph with his brothers, his dialogue with his brothers. But I mean, when, when Pharaoh gave Joseph the, the throne, the overall of Egypt, he did it because he says, I think what he said. Uh, 39, 41, 39. Yeah, he said, if God has shown you all this, then there's no one in his description wise as you. He said, God showed you this. Was he talking about his God? Or? No, he's talking about Joseph's God. That's what, you know. Yeah. So Pharaoh God. knew that Joseph didn't worship the Egyptian right. gods. And I, I know the interpreter knew who Joseph was. Yes. So he could have just, you know, said, his, you know, now I know his brothers didn't know who he was, but he didn't know if he was, you know, which God he was talking about. Correct. But the interpreter chose the common Hebrew word Elohim in the plural to interpret whatever Joseph said to Joseph's brothers. The interpreter used Elohim according to 42.18. Do this and live, for I fear God. I fear Elohim. Now, also, so you're asking more, did the brothers understand, or could they have received a hint of his identity from that? Maybe, maybe not. It looks like they didn't. Okay. Um, 
<coughs> so that, that's, the, I, I think, the answer. OK, yes, one more. Quick question. Uh, does scripture tell us why God kept the truth of Joseph's circumstances from Jacob? Um, not only the truth of his circumstances, but also um, what was happening in chapter 42, um, knowing that Jacob was a prophet. And I know that not all prophets necessarily had full knowledge of all occurrences at the time, but does scripture explain to us why he let Jacob kind of just deal with this? Or it's just, just part of the hardship that God... Yes, I think it's part of the hardship that God gives to Jacob. There's nothing explicit as to why he, God uh, withheld this knowledge from Jacob. Nothing explicit. But it's certainly part of the hardship. And Joseph understands it that way. Um, God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Verse 9, Genesis 45, 9. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. So the trial on Jacob would not have been as severe if he had known earlier. So it shows... As the events unfold, God could do whatever He wants whenever He wants. But if He withholds it, the obvious reason is He wanted Jacob to be under more stress, anxiety, or temptation, distress, hardship, until the right time to relieve it. 